Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us today in the city of Westminster, where the weather doesn't quite know what it's doing, I don't think. It's also rather deserted outside, as you'd expect, as once again, we put the topic of leadership under the microscope with a variety of different perspectives. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on the air today by Greg White. Greg is a director at Stockyard North, the largest prop hire company based outside of the UK capital. That can be found in Trafford Park, Manchester. Greg, welcome to the programme today, and it's great to have you on the air with us. Hello, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come and speak with me, Greg. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast series really is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole. So, what I'd like to understand first and foremost is what that word leader actually means to you personally. Um, straight off the off the bat, if you like. Uh, leadership is a, I think, is a conductor. I think it's somebody that's able to recognise talents in people, get them together to all build that vision. I suppose that the leader may have. Um, I think that's 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 how I see it. I think um, it's someone with a with a vision. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So leadership is not necessarily the same as managing, is it? Managing, I suppose, is an aspect of leadership, but I suppose they're kind of in different categories in a sense, aren't they? Because managing is more looking over procedure in a way. But also you can say there's management of people as well, and management of people, as you've just mentioned there, is hugely important, isn't it, in all aspects of leadership? Absolutely. Um, I've, I've seen several memes or, or drawings of people trying to picture management or boss and, and sometimes you've got this, this this person whipping and people leading a chariot mm. and I, I sort of feel that hugely I, I hugely incorrect really I, leadership can be leading from the front and can also be leading from behind and from the side I think you you have appointed managers within your organization which oversee procedure as you say um but it, it, essentially a, a leader is always is there to inspire those managers to keep the, the rest of the team going um i think it's, it's so many different levels um and whilst leadership has so many almost complementary words attached to it mm. I, I think sometimes leadership can be hugely lonely um because quite often it's your vision you're on your own until you've got those people around you to, to believe in you um, whereas management, I don't necessarily think is that lonely because you, the team already there. You know, you're already following the vision that's been given ahead of you. If that makes sense. It certainly does. Um, I think uh, leadership, um, it's integral to be able to develop a team and to take people with you because without a team of people around you, I suppose in a certain sense, you're not necessarily leading anything as such. And being able to have a group of people around you who you can nurture the best out of, but also whom can nurture the best out of you is also quite important. Um, I believe it was Nelson Mandela who once said, surround yourself with people who are better than you. And that's really good advice for those people looking to start leadership roles, isn't it? To essentially pick your mentors carefully. Absolutely. And I'm not afraid of employing someone better than me at doing certain aspects because I know that there are other things that I'm better at. Um, and I feel hugely responsible now for the team that I have around me. As, as at the beginning, it was just me. And now then it grew to three, five, eight. 
And I've seen some of those people get married. They're buying houses. They're buying buying animals now. Some of them might even have children. And I feel hugely responsible for all of that. Mm. And actually really proud, actually, that they're able to do that because of something I, you know, I essentially started. Um, and yes, nurture and trust because they have to trust in me that of I will I will do the best for them and, and keep it going. And that's, it's a never-ending energy, I think it is, that's also attached to leadership. And as that team that you have been leading has essentially grown over the years, Greg, have you found that you've had to essentially mould and adapt your leadership style to just cater for the ever-growing numbers of members of that team? Absolutely. I think it would be hugely arrogant for me to sit here and say that I was born a leader because I, I certainly wasn't. Um, leadership is also built on experience over time in in, in a field. Um, well, I don't mean in a farmer's field, I mean in the, your chosen sector, so to speak. Um, I've certainly had to learn how to be a leader, without a doubt. And I actually trust in the people that I now lead because they also, without me painting that picture to them, they also understand that I'm still learning certain bits as, as we go along. Um, I, I'm certainly finding myself becoming more proactive rather than sort of reactive and proactive on mm. getting better at both of those skills definitely striking a balance between proactivity and reactivity certainly is a hugely important term in the current climate isn't it with uh, the COVID-19 situation because businesses having to plan even though of course changing guidelines and changing circumstances have been occurring in uh, recent weeks but also I think it was a very interesting point that you mentioned there Greg about um, leaders not necessarily being born it's um, a process of the development and experience therefore is hugely important when we think about people developing as leaders and part of that is of course maybe trying one or two things and making a mistake or two and then being able to learn from that experience and do you think it's really possible to really be a good leader without having that experience of trying things making mistakes and going through that learning process i not at all i i i think that you need to make the mistakes to learn um quite, quite definitely i've Met people along the way who I would consider, you know, I almost look at them and, and think, oh, you know, I'm happy for them to mentor me, or, or I take everything, you know, I almost hang on every word that that person says. But as time has gone on, I've realised if I've either grown beyond them because of the mistakes I've made and learned, or I've watched them make mistake after mistake and not learn from that, and eventually fall away into, into bankruptcy and, and disappear into the background. And I think that's that's usually sad. So I think it's it's quite important that every so often you stop and you check yourself as a leader, and and you make sure that the direction you're going um, is is still right. You're still asking yourself the right questions about how you're going to get there, um, and also looking back at the mistakes and where you've come from to, to appreciate how you've got to where you are. Um, without doing those things, I, I don't think you're going to grow I, I think that's important yeah for sure um, uh, and it comes down to adaptability doesn't it when one knows that they have to change direction being able to take the um action to do that rather than being sort of set in one's ways in a sense and I Definitely. think you're absolutely right I mean some people may be born with um, a certain vision I suppose or a certain self-motivation a certain drive but that doesn't necessarily make a good leader outright does it it's um that 
process of development, like you say, making sure that you stay on sort of the straight and narrow road to success. And if you do tend to sort of stray from that a little bit, always kind of change direction and recognize when one has to change tack. And it's, it's, it's so, so important. And especially in the context of the current climate as well businesses and business leaders are really going to have to um, adapt to um, what is going to be a changing marketplace post-COVID-19, aren't they? Without a doubt. I, it's, uh, certainly my own sector right now is, is it's going to struggle to get back to where it was because the film sets are anywhere between 20 and hundreds of people all trying to make a, a picture. Um, and it, you can't necessarily make a, a film or TV show unless you're inside of two meters together. So, you know, I'm, I'm reading speculative reports coming in from the US and Hollywood mainly about how they're, how they're looking to solve those problems. But, but for me, you know, at, at the moment, is trying to see if there is a way forward to get back to production and how we can work alongside productions to continue to provide the services that we can at a at continued value for money um, because I, in times like this you, you can see you can see greed taking over in some places and some people will see this as a, as a time to make money but mm. I don't think it is I think it's a time to make uh, make solutions and make friends uh, and, and foundations for the future there's certainly a renewed sense of national unity, I think, from this period, isn't there? We've been a lot more sort of self-aware, I suppose. There's a renewed focus on uh, mental health, for sure, and making sure that everybody's in the right headspace, I suppose. And these are really positive things um, as part of this whole experience that we can take forward. But also, um, we're seeing in times of crisis such as this, that people are essentially stepping up to the plate and bringing the best out of themselves in their day-to-day work as well, for the good of uh, the businesses that they work for, and... That's also quite um, positive in terms of one's development, isn't it? The experience, again, of having to go out of one's comfort zone and developing through that means. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm i definitely not afraid of a challenge. And often you, you, you find yourself, you, you throw yourself into a situation and, and you go along with it. And then as you near the end of that, I'm then thinking, okay, so I've, I've done that now, so what's next? And after that, and then I'm thinking, okay, what's next? Um, challenge is great, and certainly in this in this period of you know, COVID nineteen, um, it, it's been great to watch even other leaders grow, and also politicians grow. And, and mm. I think we've been able to see true colours of people in various sectors across the across the country and and sort of nationwide and internationally as well. And I think that's been key. Um, yeah, hugely important and, and great to have, great to have been a part of this. Whilst it's been huge, huge tragedy for many, um, it will hopefully give us a different perspective on life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, going forward. Um, but if we do look back just um, for a uh, moment, uh, Greg, um, if based upon the experience that you now have, not just in your profession and in management, but also in managing um, times of crisis like this, if you could go back, say, maybe 10, 15 years and speak to a younger version of yourself, is there anything that you would tell the younger you to maybe do differently in the future? Great question. Um, you know what? Probably, probably not. I'd tell myself probably don't worry so much. 
um, I've spent a lot of nights sitting up at half past two in the morning worrying about the week that's to come. But I've, I've certainly, with all the challenges I've gone through, with all the things that have happened, I've certainly learned to rewire myself to not worry so much. Um, but, yeah, I'd probably do anything I think I'd go back and say. I've, I've had a great time. I probably wouldn't change anything. And I think also having embraced the learning experiences that you've had during your career, I think it's also quite safe to say as well that if they've proven beneficial, it's good to basically say quite comfortably looking back that there's no need to change anything because things have essentially worked out for the better in that sense. I've really developed as a person as a result of those experiences. Without a doubt. And and I, I, I'm nowhere near the end. I know that there are still challenges to come. Um, you know, I, I don't even know what they are right now. Um, but I think deep down, I think I'm still having a good time. Um, and yeah, if, if, if I don't get up with a smile on my face, then there's no point getting up. I think it's integral um, as a leader or as anybody in any walk of life to essentially have a passion for what you do. I think one of the greatest bits of advice that anybody aspiring to go into business um, can probably heed from this is to find something that you are passionate about because if you're trying to go into business a berm in something completely different that you just don't buy into in that sense, it's not really going to work out, is it, in that way? Not at all. No, I, I certainly wouldn't open a, a store or a shop selling clothes um, because if you could see the way I'm dressed now, I, I'm not that great at dressing. But um, in terms of understanding film and what's needed and all those other things, you know, from being, my time spent on set, from my time spent creating the set, I think you've got to stay with what you know, um, and if you, and like you, like you insinuated there, if you, if you do something you enjoy, it's never going to be a bad day at work. I think that's absolutely right. And um, if we do think now about the uh, the future, uh, Greg, um, concerning yourself, concerning Stockyard North over the next twelve months, do you give me an idea of what you imagine that period holds for yourself and for the business, and also what you hope to achieve, not just in that time, but also beyond then, beyond COVID nineteen, and your ambitions for that period? I think I'd love to see more television production in the north. Um, I'd like to see the focus shift from from London and see it go a lot more nationwide. Um, so, and, and that that would obviously benefit Stockyard North. Um, I'd like to grow Stockyard North considerably and, and have it probably larger still. I'd certainly like to employ more people. Um, and me personally, I love meeting people. I I, I don't see this as being my final my final resting place if you like I would I would ideally like to take myself into a slightly higher place of leadership where I'm looking after some sort of I don't know northwest based film office or something similar which which is then able to go globally and encourage filming in this area that's, that's very much my ambition 
Well, I think there's uh, no limit to uh, the types of things we're considering in terms of changes for the future uh, during this period. It's been a huge um, time of uh, self-reflection in that sense. And it's great to see that the ambition of business is still persisting throughout all of the uncertainty. And what I think would be fantastic, Greg, even though we are just about out of time on today's programme, is if in future, once we start to see the pandemic um, lift, we're moving out of it and we start seeing things changing, we could perhaps have you back on the programme to catch up on how the business is doing and just see how those hopes are being borne out as well but um in terms of today thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the program and speak with me it's been an absolute pleasure but also a very insightful experience at the same time i i, I hope so and i would love to come back on again and, and speak again thank you very much thanks ever so much greg do take care and do stay safe as well with everything still going on i will likewise thank you Bye-bye. Take care. That was Greg White, director at Stockyard North. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, A former professional striker, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his football career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Jeff and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school 
and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peters i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player if you like not as a, a guy with the same age group as me and I looked at how he how he uh, trained how he acted how he behaved and how he played and so he he would say I would also say he was a big influence on me one thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do I do understand clearly in all walks of life leadership is at the top is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business mm-hmm football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure... When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody 
that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alpha, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. 
And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. 
Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's have a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, you know, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they—they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned. 
uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, Thinking about that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation and I think that's you're completely focused you're always thinking about uh, things thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.